minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
You know, Tzadikim said that the meaning of the word is not from where, like many things, but it means from Ayin, from a place of nothingness. When a person comes to a matzav in his life, where he feels like he's Ayin and everything is Ebishtah, then from that place called Ayin, I may Ayin, Yavoyezri, all the Yeshua's will come.
Shabbos <laughs> 
Shmakolainu with Meino Lamhaba. What a classic that is. Uh, before that, Mim Komcha. Talk about classics from the great Rib Shlomo Kalbach. Avremo Avram Fried to Siatzavu. Einanachnu done by Mordechai Shapiro. Joey Newcomb had, had um, uh, Mayayin. 
Mayayan. I thought it was Mayayan. It's Mayayan. Mayayan Yavo Ezri. Simcha with Eitz Chaim. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday, everybody. It is an Erev Shabbos broadcast here at JMN with a big thank you to Avrami for wrapping up yesterday's show. He took care of the last hour plus yesterday as I um, had to be in an event. Um, and I thank him for taking over. Much appreciated. Here we are on an early Friday morning on this 19th day of January, day number nine in the month of Shvat. The year is 5784, Tufshin Pei It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's bow with candle lighting time at 437 on this Erev Shabbos. 437 candle lighting time on this uh, Erev Shabbos. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, the 437 is for the New York City Area This coming Thursday is Tu Bishvat. It's hard to believe when we're sitting with, uh, well, what will be another probably one to three inches on the ground after uh, this afternoon. Uh, that's what they're predicting. That we will have somewhat of what we can call a significant snowstorm today. Uh, so how is it possible that it's already Tu Bishvat? Well, Tu Bishvat does uh, very often fall during a time when we are... Uh, going through a wintry season, but we get to look forward to spring. After all, two bishvats on the way. So this coming Thursday, Rabbi Benji Kramer is going to be joining me in studio in our Teaneck, New Jersey studio. Rabbi Benji Kramer is going to join us. He will have plenty of great material for two bishvat, and we will have an official two bishvat special for 5784. So make sure you're tuned in. And you know what we always say for those of you who are traveling over the next few days, because apparently with the yeshiva break, there are a lot of families that are going to be in different uh, areas of the globe over the next few days. Not enough in Israel, but that's a separate story. I don't have to go into that now. Um, I would just like to remind everybody that as you travel and as you uh, tune in, or I should say as um, as, as you vacation in different parts of the world, make sure to tune in. And uh, keep us at the ready with the NSN app. It's very simple. Just install the Nahum Siegel Network app for Android or iPhone into your uh, phone. And you've got us. You've got us, uh, you know, no matter where you are, no matter what beach, no matter what hotel, no matter what cruise. I assume the cruises can get can get our network, right? <laughs> I would guess. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I would guess at this point they can. Anyway, that's the story. Uh, yeshiva break has begun. No matter where you are, make sure to be tuned into JM and AM and the Nahum Siegel Network as uh, often as possible. And the easiest way to do that again is with the NSN Nahum Siegel Network app. Simple as that. Malcolm, home line an hour from now. Um, we'll do the weekly update here at JM and AM. Yudin is going to be with us from Israel. And I think he'll actually be live today, if I'm not mistaken which will be pretty cool with a message from the Holy Land. Uh, we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Uh, Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, our Jewish music, Arab Shabbos music mix, brought to you by Kedem all day long. Our final hour, which will begin about 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, brought to you by Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Sunday, it's Matis Live with JM Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll tell you, the shows just keep on coming. Just keep it uh, keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Boker Tov and Shabbat Shalom from listener Tikva. Klops92 is the one who um, 
requested the Kalbach Mimkomcha. And we got that on the air this morning here at JM and the Yeah. We did a good job uh, fulfilling the uh, <laughs> fulfilling the listener request this morning. Oh, by the way, I got to wish a happy birthday today. I got to wish a happy birthday today. Where am I here? Um, where is my, where are my notes? I want to wish a happy milestone birthday to Vivian Kalish. Vivian Kalish, a happy milestone birthday to you from all of us here at JM and the AM. Again, those of you who see listener Vivian Kalish at some point today, you make sure to wish her a very happy birthday. And I know, I know that the, uh, I know that the birthday wishes come from Rabbi Yudin and myself and everybody here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. So you can pass all of that along. Happy birthday, Vivian Kalish, from all of us here at JM and the AM. More coming up. It's Friday, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM.
Oh, 
בחולים קמים עלינו, כמה עוד אפשר? גם כשהם שונאים אותנו, אני עומד וישר. מנסים לשבור אותנו, חושבים שזה אפשר. האמונה בוערת בנו, זה עם שלא נשבר. אני יהודי, אני לא מתבייש. אני יהודי, ואף אחד לא חושש. Thank <laughs> you. 
J.M. in the A.M. Yisrael Werdiger with that selection, L'Chad Dodi, before that, Mordechai Shapiro's Ani Yehudi. Yom Zed done by Tali Yes, Diaspora, and Mika Amcha, Matt Dub had Olam Chesed, and you are listening to J.M. in the A.M. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. If you haven't yet given to our 40th anniversary campaign, please support our efforts and keep us going. It's very easy. Go to fjbunity.org 
fjbunity.org and uh, utilize the opportunity to support Great Jewish Radio, which you make sure to tune into on a regular basis. Again, it's fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Please be as generous as possible. Happy birthday to Vivian Kalish. Vivian Kalish, we are told, is celebrating a milestone birthday. And uh, we say mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Yeah. Um, mazal tov. News from Israel is coming up next and plenty more, including our weekly update, which is scheduled for 7.40 a.m. Eastern time. Malcolm Honline will join us. We'll discuss the news of the day. Rabbi Yudin's in Israel. He'll be addressing us at about 820, 8.15, 8.20 in that area. Today during JM and the AM. And we'll wrap things up at 9 o'clock. Full uh, broadcast schedule all day long, of course, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. The overwhelming majority of it curated by the brilliant Mark Zamek, who will be hosting the Arab Shabbos show at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler is tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. And, of course, Sunday is Sunday morning. How do you know? Because Matis is on. Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Galitzal in the background, news from Israel coming up next. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast is next. We say Boker Tov from Jam and Am. גליצה לשעה שתיים באולפן ערן קורצים, מה שקורה עכשיו. היום המאה וחמישה למלחמה, לפני כשעה שוגר מיירט מעל מפרץ חיפה. כתבנו קובי מנדל מוסר כי חיל הים וחיל האוויר זיהו כתבם במרחב הימי באזור עכו. לאחר שככל הנראה חצה מלבנון, הכתבם יורעת על ידי כיפת ברזל. לא הופעלה התראה ולא היו נפגעים. פרשננו לענייני צבא וביטחון אמיר בר שלום מציין שצה"ל סיים לפני זמן קצר גל תקיפות נרחב בדרום לבנון. הרמטכ"ל אומר בשיחה עם מפקדי אוגדה 99 בעזה, אנו מבינים את המתח בין שדה הקרב לבית עבור אנשי המילואים. אנחנו פועלים על פי תוכנית ומשחררים חלק מהאנשים בידיעה שנקרא להם שוב. עידן קבלר שוחח בגלי צה"ל עם אביגיל פישר, אשתו של מג"ד במילואים, עובדת סוציאלית קלינית שסיפרה על הקשיים של משפחות חיילי המילואים. הבדידות הכל כך גדולה, בתקופה הכי קשה של החיים, שבן הזוג לא נמצא בבית. יש התמודדויות של ילדים עם צרכים כאלה ואחרים שיש במצב שגרה, ההורים הצליחו לייצר לו איזושהי מעטפת כי שניהם היו שם לסייע ו- וכרגע אימא מאוד מאוד מתקשה לעשות את זה לבד. זה מתבצע ב- באין ספור חלקים יומיומיים, שגרתיים. המאבק להשבת החטופים. חלק ממשפחות החטופים הודיעו כי בכוונתן להחריף את המאבק. אלי אלבג, שבתו לירי מוחזקת בשבי חמאס, אמר ביומן הצהריים של גלי צה"ל, הממשלה גוררת רגליים. המחאה עוד לא התחילה, למי שלא הבין. אנחנו היינו במאה ימים שקטים, נתנו לממשלה לעבוד, להילחם, לעשות את המקסימום, גם למלחמה, גם לשחרור החטופים, גם לשלום החיילים, לא רצינו להפריע. אבל לאט לאט, ככל שעבר הזמן, התחלתי להרגיש שהממשלה שלנו, הקבינט שלנו, גורר רגליים. 
שר הבריאות אוריאל בוסו הורה לבטל את הנוהל לקליטת נפגעים תושבי עזה ולבנון בבתי החולים בארץ מטעמים הומניטריים. מדווחת כתבתנו לענייני בריאות טל אור מאירסון. על פי הנוהל שהפיץ משרד הבריאות לבתי החולים אתמול, פצועים תושבי עזה או אם תיפתח גזרה צפונית גם תושבי לבנון יוכלו להתפנות מטעמים הומניטריים לבתי החולים בארץ, בהתאם להחלטת מפקד צבאי וגורם רפואי בשטח הלחימה. שר הבריאות בוסו הודיע לפני זמן קצר שהנוהל מבוטל, החולים לבקשת מערכת הביטחון נכתב שלא בידיעתו וללא אישורו והבהיר כי לא חל שינוי במדיניותו הברורה שלא לאפשר למחבלים ולתושבי עזה ולבנון להיקלט בבתי החולים בארץ. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר עם עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת בו, בירושלים ב-4.21, בתל אביב ב-4.42, בחיפה ב-4.5, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4.44. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר, בירושלים ב-20.06, בתל אביב ב-5.41, בחיפה ב-5.39, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת. שבת מחר בחמש ארבעים ושתיים. לכל מאזיננו שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
JM and the AM. It's Chaim Barnett and Company with Lachado Diof, an album entitled Zemiro's Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Arab Shabbos, candlelighting time at 4.37. Am I right about that? Yeah, 4.37 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Happy birthday to Vivian Kalish. Vivian Kalish, happy milestone birthday to you. From all of us here at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg has something to say about Parsha's bow. His words are being presented in honor of a Rafur Shlema, a full and speedy recovery for our dear friend, Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Harry Rothenberg, Friday Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. This week we read about the very first Passover when God passed over the homes of the Jews. Obviously, God had to command the Jews all the laws pertaining to Passover. The sacrifice, the blood on the doorpost, the matzah, the maror. But before he did that, he gave them another command. Blink and you'll miss it. It takes up one passage. You'd think that because this is the very first law that the Jews are getting as a nation, it's got to be one of the big ones, maybe one of the Ten Commandments. But it's not, surprisingly. Curiously, it's the law of the sanctification of the new moon. Why is that the first law we get as a nation? The answer, according to one of the commentators, is that there's so much built into that law. Think about it. When God brought the 10 plagues, disrupting nature, he was showing Pharaoh and his nation and the other nations and us that the same God who was disrupting nature was the same God who was creating and maintaining nature. Pharaoh didn't get that point. We did, and we should. And so God was giving us a physical sign up in the heavens, the crescent moon, right before we became his nation. The same way that he had given Noah a physical sign in the heavens after the flood, the rainbow. And God was also showing us that every month, just as the moon reunites with the sun and starts reflecting the light of the sun coming out of a period of darkness, each one of us, individually and as a nation, should come back to God after whatever period of darkness we've been in, like the one we've been in now for months. He's waiting to see us, and we should be running to see Him. And God's reminding us through the laws of the new moon that we can always renew the same way the moon comes back. Each one of us is in control of our individual spiritual and moral destiny. No one else has control over that. Each one of us does, and we can always come back. We can always renew, just like the moon. I want to share with you a comeback story. A few weeks ago, I was in Israel, and I was speaking at a certain yeshiva. And right before I finished, I told the guys, I have one more story to share with you. I know a guy who, when he was a teenager, came to Israel for the year to study in yeshiva, and it did not work out. He was forcibly relocated. In other words, he was thrown out of yeshiva. And he figured, you know, when a police officer leaves the force, thrown off or retired, he hands in his gun and his badge. Well, I'm going to hand in my yarmulke and my tefillin and my tzitzes and my sitter. I'm done. I'm leaving. But while he was packing his bags to leave, one of the rabbis from the yeshiva came to visit him in his dorm room. And he said to him, no matter what happened between you and the head of the yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, I want you to know that I believe in you. And in no small part because of that conversation, that fellow did not leave the force, didn't leave the reservation, did not turn in his gun or his badge or his yarmulke or his tefillin. He stayed the course, at least on the margins. And eventually over time, got much more serious about his Judaism and returned to Israel many, many times in the ensuing years. But not once over the next 35 plus years did he ever set foot in the yeshiva that had thrown him out. 
until tonight, until right now, because I was that guy. Don't ever give up on anyone. Oh 
J.M. in the A.M. Shlomo Kalbach, of course, classic Mizmar Shiri Yom HaShabbos. Leif Tahar before that with Adam Zmiros. Welcome to a Friday era of Shabbos, and thanks for joining us here at J.M. the A.M. Weekly update about 10 minutes away. Or by Uden, hour number three, and plenty more on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Candlelighting in New York, 437 on this era of Shabbos Parsha's bow. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, make sure you know when things start where you are. Parsha's bow here in New York. 437, 437 with the candle lighting time. Yeah, simple as that. JM and AM Friday, everybody, with uh, great programming all through the weekend, including 10 a.m. this morning, Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos Show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos Music Mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour at about 3.30 Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. And Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, and of course, Sunday is Sunday with Matis every single Sunday morning. Amazing. Live with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network.
J.M. in the A.M. with Eitan Katz, Uelo Kenu before that. L'chad Odi here at J.M. in the A.M. Miami had Me'im Hashem, and of course the Kalbach classic was Mizmor Shir. Friday morning, Erev of Shabbos, candle lighting at 7, at 7, candle lighting at 4.37. Yeah, for a moment there, you thought you had a long afternoon. Uh, 4.37 is candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are, as we always remind you. Uh, JewishWorldReview.com is an amazing resource if you want to print out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world before Shabbos and then get going uh, on uh, reading up on what's happening in this very interesting world of ours. Go to jewishworldreview.com and enjoy. Malcolm Honline with us live via telephone, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. It's always great to be with you. Appreciate that very much. We talk about the support in Washington. We don't take it for granted at all. In fact, as um, different efforts are being made to oust certain members of Congress around this country, you have to admit that uh, even with um, some of the anti-Israel rhetoric and feelings that are going on in certain congressional offices, we are still enjoying a uh, an overwhelming amount of support in the halls of the United States Congress, Baruch Hashem and Beli Ayin Hara. However, with all that in mind, could you tell us what uh, Senator Bernie Sanders did this week in the United States Senate? Well, he didn't do anything because it didn't pass, but it was meant to be a message. The fact is that 72 senators voted uh, against his measure, which would limit aid to Israel and condition aid. And this is all those efforts to, while he still doesn't call, by the way, for a ceasefire, which is to me anomalous, but... He, he and others have been introducing various resolutions. Uh, Rand Paul voted with uh, Sanders, but I saw that he introduced a measure which was not passed to Condition 8 uh, to the Palestinians on recognition of Israel and, you know, denouncing the violence. Uh, so it's, it's, as you said, support remains strong in both houses. I think um, it's becoming more and more challenging as this extends uh, and because of the clamoring sometimes in some of their districts. But overall, the, the support has remained strong. The I think the understanding of what happened, um, and especially the impact of the videos, and the, um, I think, attempts to, to, to show that the threats to America has emerged from the Houthi actions, these are all one enemy. This is all Iran's tentacles. And that this battle is for America as much as it is for Israel. It's for the West because everybody will be a victim. Every ally of the United States in the region and the United States itself and all of our interests, yeah. as we see in the Red Sea. Even outside of the region. Um, what, what does this tell us about those of us who were skeptical early on during the war about how strong 
U.S. support would remain for Israel throughout this entire encounter. My point being that when President Biden, again, with all the credit to him, uh, went ahead and visited Israel and made all the proper statements and really acted uh, the way we would have preferred that he act uh, in light of the uh, start of the war, it looks like uh, some of that support from his office is waning. It looks like they're not as enthusiastically backing Israel as they once were. I think the same could be said for Bernie Sanders. I think, shockingly, we were surprised how much he supported Israel in the uh, first few weeks of the war. Now, obviously, he's taking action, which would indicate something very differently. Um, should we worry that others will follow and that there might be less support from Washington than there is now? Of course, we worry about it every day. Uh, there are a lot of countering forces. Uh, as we know, we see what how, how the um, younger generation has been impacted. Now we found out, and I'm sure we'll discuss, that it's not just colleges, it's high schools where the propaganda war is being, is being carried out. And the, the fact that we're in a presidential election year obviously has an impact on uh, the people in Washington and how they study the polls and look at it. And when you have hundreds of employees of the administration who want to walk out in protest of the Middle East policy, I mean, all of these things are factors. But as you said, I think the administration has generally remained steadfast in its commitments, its fundamental commitments, although we see some fraying and there are all sorts of negotiations going on for the day after and uh, the renewal of the talks about what, what should be done, even some suggesting that Hamas will not be dismantled, which would be a very bad outcome of this uh, of this conflict. And Prime Minister Netanyahu made it very clear in his comments uh, later in the week that that is not an acceptable outcome, that it has to be the dismantling of, of Hamas and its capacity. The um, and the talk about the rewarding the Palestinians in a way would be, I think, certainly counterproductive. And when you look at the polls, the surge of popularity of Hamas in in the West Bank and even support amongst Gazans, although I think today it's greatly diminished, and you hear more and more voices of dissent against them. And usually that, when caught, meant that death penalty. You know, then they they're executed as traitors, something that does not seem to bother the United Nations and many countries. Um, the, the, I think the ICJ case, the International Court of Justice case, you know, accusing Israel of genocide, even France and others have come out and said it crosses a moral um, uh, red line or threshold that the, the extreme measures that, that they engage in. And again, I, I think that the Houthi attacks are bringing home to many people what the true nature of this is, and they don't even know yet how this could impact the prices of goods, let alone already we see in the price of oil, yeah. because of of what they're uh, the attacks that they're they're engaging, and they continue despite the fact that we've been bombing them almost every day. I want to get back to the college and high school thing for a second, but 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 since you just mentioned the Houthis, how is that Iran? So you know, and and Prime Minister Netanyahu's statements this week gave me a little bit more clarity in terms of who the enemy really is and how influential Iran is. But but how do they do it? Is it money? Is it some type of influence that we may not realize on this side of the world? How is it that they are getting um, countries, um, governments, and of course rebel groups like? Uh, uh, like the Houthis, to participate in these anti-American activities? Why are they so successful at it? 
Well, it's it, there's many reasons, ideological, it's economic, it's political. So if we take each case, how the Iranians, uh, by funding, providing weapons, uh, giving an ideological um, spur to the, to the most extremist elements in, in Muslim countries, uh, and threatening virtually every regime in the region, uh, intimidating others, and for too long they were able to get away with it when we, you know, lessened some of the um, restrictions, some of the sanctions, other things, it kept sending a message that Iran somehow is getting away with it. And now they've linked up with China and Russia. They've joined the BRICS group uh, and they, uh, you know, get international acceptance on the one hand, even as we try to isolate them on the other. The, the So the Iranians, whose economy is in ruins, and if we had really clamped down more further on the oil sanctions, as we did before, uh, that would cut off the source of of the larger source of income, right. which now comes to to a billion dollars every week, just from the export of oil. That funds a lot of terrorism. Terrorism is not that expensive, it and they you know they don't have to sustain the people afterwards. They don't have to worry about rehabilitation. They don't have to worry about any of these things. Iran can simply give money to the Houthis who were fighting Saudi Arabia, as you remember, right. and the Saudis now remain quiet because they don't want to reactivate that front, but they were they literally shot missiles, and we believe some from Iran, directly at their oil fields, their air force, uh, the airports, etc. Uh, and so they intimidate, and they, uh, uh, and Iran, with this minimal investment, they give hundreds of millions of dollars a year to Hezbollah, to Hamas, to the Houthis, to the militias in Syria and Iraq, all in a plan to encircle um, uh, Israel. But now the chutzpah, them firing directly from Iran against Erbil in in Kurdistan, uh, claiming that they were hitting a Mossad headquarters when in fact it was a person's private home, a business residence where they killed two children and two adults, a businessman, a Kurdish businessman who in fact did advocate for increasing business with Israel, but that was not the, their motivation was, it, you know, and then they covered by saying that they were hitting a Mossad headquarters, but the fact they get away with, with firing and then the United States till now had a very restrained response to the uh, more than hundred attacks against American presence in, um, in Iraq and Syria, where we're there to protect our troops and uh, the b- battle against ISIS. Is it less restrained so, now? Pardon me? Is it less restrained now, that response? It is, it, it, it is less restrained, certainly, in the case of the Houthis and the fact that we, we the British, have been bombing back when they are, are you know, blocking traffic. And people, you, you have to understand that this could increase prices of 10% or more because of the increase in insurance. And if they have to go around the Cape of Good Hope around Africa, right. yeah. rather than taking the Suez Canal, adds, uh, can add weeks to the travel time for these huge um, uh, you know, cargo boats. So, but, but you see that Iran's, the pattern of Iran's involvements and they get involved in Ukraine. What what was the punishment? What was the sanctions that we imposed on them for providing weapons to the Russians and to uh, and on an ongoing basis and uh, the the um, drones that were being used against them? And and at the same time, 
they benefit from the increased prices. They export the sanctioned Russian oil. And, and in the meantime, build up their, get closer and closer in terms of their nuclear program because they stepped up enrichment again. They, they according to one of the top experts, that they would have enough uranium for a, nuke, a nuclear weapon at 90% enrichment within a week or so. So uh, they still haven't finished the whole process of weaponizing it, but the, the fact is that they are moving ahead on that program as well, and they pay very little price for all of this. So the, the only message that Iran will listen to is, is a message of strength. Yeah. And when you have other parties coming into it and they now have this link with China, Russia and others and are involved, accepted into the Shanghai Cooperation Council, the BRICS and other associations. So there's no price. What we what we should be doing is activating all the countries on their borders, activating, assisting and aiding the people in the country. We should not, don't have to get directly involved, but all we have to do is help those elements. And you can see that this government is tottering in terms of their support. When people hang a sign in Tehran on a bridge that we stand with Israel, when at the, at the soccer games, they yell, uh, pro-Israel slogans, or in the moment of silence for the Palestinian victims, they all started blowing horns and, and whistling and making noise. Those are the messages we should, the people we should be supporting, and that is the message we should be sending. Do all those people end up getting arrested, or it's uh, it's too many for the authorities to round them up? Too too many, and they don't necessarily know in, in advance. I think you know when it's happening. We should acknowledge, you know, the United States hit. Uh, Houthi airports, and we've hit some of their military bases. The initial strikes were, were warnings. I think the fact that they continued afterwards is, uh, is it, you know, has emboldened us to take strong stands. And I think that the military, the U.S. military, would like to do much more because they, they got harassed by these ships. And remember, I said on this program, and I said it years ago to a former president, that if you take out any of those little boats that they send against us. They're very high speed. They harass our ships, our military uh, ships as well. Uh, he, he said it will cause war. And I said, no, they will do nothing. We'll back down. These are cowards. That's why they're terrorists. They run and hide. They don't fight military. And we took out three of those ships. What was the reaction? Nothing, nothing. They won't stand against us. The fact that the Houthis continued, frankly, is, is, um, is somewhat surprising, but they have very little to lose. Yemen, is the poorest country. They Their existence, uh, Houthi's existence, it depends upon the fact that they remain uh, a, pol- a power there and, and do the bidding of Iran and the extremist elements. Yeah. Back to the other topic for a second. I had an experience this week, which, uh, again, um, confirmed what, I, what I've been believing for the last three months, and that the, the, the average high school and college student in this country, forget other countries for a moment, they just don't know. They have no. You ask them what October seventh was all about. You ask them what happened on October seventh. The majority can't even tell you. And I know we make fun about the. They don't know what the river is. They don't know what the sea is. I get all of that, but there's so much ignorance here. And there's really two groups. There's the ignorant group of American youth that are participating in anti-Israel protests, and the and then there's the. Uh, uh, the ignorant uh, group of American youth that are sitting by and really don't care much about, you know, to get involved in the whole thing. But it just, the, the level of ignorance, you know, fuels this entire movement. That's why so many people that are joining these anti-Israel pro-Hamas rallies in so many major cities w- wouldn't have a clue if you asked them to describe to you 
what happened on October 7th or who was involved. Forget about the expressions, river, scene, all that. Just the basic episode. I don't know if the majority of them can even tell you. First of all, every test uh, and uh, anecdotal evidence uh, shows that that is absolutely true. They have no idea which river, which sea. Uh, we believe that some people are being paid to be participants in these rallies. Some of them are members of extremist groups, uh, whether that's infil- who've infiltrated unions, who've infiltrated uh, elsewhere to to mobilize people, that this is, becomes their, their protest voice, that this has been in the works for many years. And, and frankly, uh, you know, we would need the whole day just to tell you that what we've found, and if we can to take a minute, because I think it brings home the message how our public schools have been infiltrated. The fact that the map in one school that was revealed, which showed uh, the Middle East, but only Palestine, not Israel, the superintendent said this week, on the uh, day before yesterday, oh, this has been up for 12 years. 12 years. Wow. So the a class after class was interesting. He said, but it's a class in Arab culture and thing. And because, you know, Israel's not an Arab country, doesn't speak Arabic, which is not true for a quarter of the people and more. And, uh, you know, covering it. But but there's much more to this. First of all, it's not just one school. There may be as many as half a dozen. And do you know that the Qatari Foundation funds, gives money to these schools? and funds some of the education and means they have a say in the teachers who teach there. There's almost no curricular requirement. And uh, they can say this is a club, but this is not a regular course, it is. And it's being taught in the school and has been for for years. And you wanna know why these young people have been indoctrinated yeah. as they have? Look at the teachers' unions and look at the, the, the kind of messages that they send and what, what do you think the teachers are teaching? And, and the oversight, both by the state and the city, is minimal. They're not requiring them. There are only certain words I found out that they have to say, and that covers it. Then they can do basically what they want in in these courses. But we're finding out that not only the Qataris pour billions into our universities, and we're finding more and more all the time in the various network of, of investments and the influence in terms of picking teachers that they get packages of scholarships that they can give out at will to to who they want from uh, you know I'm sure they're sending the best propagandists not the best students and the the and the and but the fact that they've they've invested even in high schools and and we have hardly even begun to scratch the surface of what this means nationally in terms of how much uh, Qatar yeah. whose foundation owns hundreds of billions of dollars in real estate prime real estate in New York in London and elsewhere but in in buying into various uh, industries in America, and this is important because they can use that as leverage. I know, but every state. time I mention this to somebody about Qatari financial influence in high schools and colleges in this country, people react to me like, how much influence could they possibly have from so many thousands of miles away, and how much money are they really giving? I could have such an effect. People don't understand that that you don't need a lot of money <laughs> to go ahead and make a difference when it comes to things like this. And, it just, and, 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 and again, you know, as Americans, we, we don't think this way, frankly. Um, but they have they have a lot of money. It's not a little bit of money. The money that they poured in billions of dollars into our universities where they do get a say in who teaches. They get a say, therefore, in what the curricula is. 
they we have experienced this for years, but this it, the extent of it is shocking. And then all of a sudden, a lot of the information which came out of federal sources and other places disappears yeah. because we believe that in fact it's much greater than the billions that we have identified, and and the extent and the, and the nature of these activities is much greater. Yeah, well, people here just don't believe it. I mean, we'll, we'll keep telling them, and hopefully they'll wake up, but the people just don't believe it. It's unbelievable, frankly, how much they don't believe. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemySiegel.com, and the AlchemySiegel Network, and, of course, the beloved NSN app. Malcolm, home line with us, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. So yesterday in a press conference in Hebrew in Israel, a uh, reporter asked uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, "Why are you not attacking Iran? And you know, why are you, why are you supporting those who attack uh, the Houthis and others? But you know, why don't you just go and directly attack the uh, the the brain trust of this entire operation?" And his answer was, "We are attacking Iran." What do you think he meant by that? I think he meant to say that we are taking actions against Iran. Uh, both through uh, their proxies and directly. There have been other allusions to it. It's not something that he can discuss. I think sometimes they make a big mistake talking about it. Other political leaders in Israel have made such references. Was it a mistake for him to say that yesterday, that we are attacking Iran, or that's not a mistake? You know, today the, the, the... political system is so charged and you know look at his numbers and look at the thing and i think it was an off-the-cuff response to a reporter to say we, we are and i think that everybody knows that israel is taking some actions certainly against their proxies but even there have been incidents in iran some of which you know go unexplained so i think you know his reference was far less specific and just a a, a a retort to um, to the to the question. If he had said uh, there were very few options, he could have said nothing. He could right. have said we're not. Right. Uh, I think you know when you're under that pressure politically, and he was just more dismissive of the question uh, uh, of the reporter by saying, "Who says we're not?" Do you think the response includes cyber attacks? Is that the primary method? Uh, I, I know that there are physical yes. attacks. That's it. There, that's the primary method, most likely. That, that is definitely going on all the time. They they close down the all the gas stations at one point. They send messages that way. I think some of the targeted hits, uh, I think, certainly make a difference. They're still reeling from the United States elimination of Soleimani, uh, but others as well. So the uh, these things have an impact, and it sends a message to the Iranian people that you're not alone. That that you know people do care. But, you know, the resilience is is amazing. When you look at what the United States hitting hundreds of targets in a country, Yemen, which has almost no infrastructure, no real, uh, it it is not a country with uh, so many uh, targets. uh, And they hit in 12 and in different locations in one day in 12 or 13 different locations with uh, high security weapons, high precision guided munitions. And yet the Houthis continue. And they continue to fight and they mass stage these massive rallies, uh, as you, you see in Iran. But you don't see is all the counter rallies and all the protests and, and uh, the fact that people are tired of this. Yeah. 
The most common question I get, aside from the hostages, God should make sure they're released ASAP, but the most common question I get is, how on earth are the uh, Hamas militants armed to the teeth the way they are? They still have missiles and still have rockets and still have ammunition, and people don't realize how well-funded they were and how well they prepared in general, not just specifically for this attack, but in general to be filled with artillery. And that supply continues to be a robust supply well they as you know the weapons that they got they found now from china north korea other places which was not known uh it's smuggled across the borders from egypt you remember we we discussed sometimes this attempts to smuggle weapons into west bank from jordan um and it's a very porous border with, with egypt and for, that comes from the sudan and through egypt to to um uh, into gaza and 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 they built it up over all this time. And all, when Israel wants to check all the trucks, and you know they they criticize Israel, you have hundreds of trucks going in a day, and I'm sure within it they still manage periodically because we just it's disclosed that they cat caught attempts to smuggle in weapons, so that continues. But they have built such stockpiles, and you made a reference which I think people don't understand that why they the pictures of destroyed houses you know and one after another they and i speak to the guys and guys they told me every single house can have weapons a tunnel entrance who could have thought that there'd be 500 miles of these underground tunnels some of them 20 30 meters deep people don't understand what a huge investment you imagine it's like building a subway system in new york we can't get the second avenue thing done they managed to build all these tunnels underground with communication with air and the, and the rockets are stored underneath, So and in mosques, and in schools, and in UN facilities. So I know it's frustrating to people wh- how come they can all of a sudden launch, but you know they can launch from one place, 50 missiles, then they go back underground into the tunnels and escape. And, and you know as much as Israel has done very effectively and continues to be effective, one morning alone this week they killed 40 Hamas terrorists in one place. Uh, and they eliminated more and more of them, but they're being more restricted because and less airstrikes uh, because of uh, international pressure. But they're continuing, and and also because there, there are less of those targets. But they're continuing to fight on on the ground. And the the uh, I know it the the appearance of resilience on the part of Hamas, but don't buy it all. Their guys are like rats underground. You don't see them coming out very often. Yeah. Have you heard anything new about the hostage situation? Uh, is there anything you could tell us about their fate or about the possibility of a deal? And also, did the medicine ever get there? Do you know if the Red Cross uh, did their job in getting medication to, to those hostages in need? The last that I saw during the night was was not conclusive as to whether the medicine actually was received. Uh, as you know, there was an understanding of the deal to, to, to get it to them. Um, uh the the um, what was the first part of your question was well, about, I mean, oh about this yeah. uh, the hostages look there's a big story that that is going around about a cemetery which is true that the, the Israelis have been tipped off that there that there were bodies there and they dug up 20 graves and unfortunately CNN was there and then documented it without explaining that they were looking for the remains of hostages wow. they took back uh, some of the remains to be tested at the forensic uh, uh, center in Israel, and if not, I'm sure the bodies will be returned and reinterred. Uh, I'm I, I'm not sure that the, the initial reports are right that this, these were the bodies of uh, of the hostages, um, but 
we don't know until the uh, testing takes place, but there were, I think, the remains of 21 people uh, taken out, and, and they were young people. Uh, but the soldiers uh, I spoke to during the night in, in uh, Gaza were more skeptical. And uh, potential for a hostage deal in the next few days? Anything more than the last time we spoke? There's nothing uh, so far that um, seems to be in the offing. There are talks going on. There are multiple talks. There are those that are, are dealing with the day after already negotiating, you know, that recognition by the Saudis and by others in exchange for a two-state solution, in exchange for, you know, a rebuilding of, of Gaza. Uh, but I think those things are, you know, premature not to think about, but to, to 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 not to give any ray of hope to Hamas that they can emerge from this, uh, and and uh, th- that still the majority of the terrorists are still alive, and of course the, the leadership and just sending them off to Tunis again or someplace, I don't believe is a solution. I think it will be very disappointing to the people of Israel if a threat remains. So they can talk about removing the Hamas government, but. If they're not removing the people, if you haven't removed the, the poison from the system, then it, it will only come back again. And is it true that Gazans are heading back to the northern part of Gaza? Because if that's true, then and if Israel hasn't effectively uh, encouraged them to stay out, and if the Israeli offensive is not getting stronger as opposed to the, you know Israel starting to... Uh, Retreat, then I don't know if there's ever any hope for a hostage deal. The only time there was ever a deal was when Israel was, was you know, dealing with them in such a harsh fashion that they uh, felt desperate they needed a ceasefire. No, it, it, Israel is not in retreat. The removal of people after 100 days, it's essential for the economy. It's essential for the people, for the soldiers to be refreshed. They're not uh, retreating. They, they, and you have different groups who have different uh, functions. And some were needed for the initial thrust, some uh, less so. There are areas that are under Israeli control, but it'll take a year or more to really clean them out and to be able to be sure that, the, as you said, the stockpiles and the rocket fire and that the people in the south will be assured that they will have, you know, that they're not going to have a return to, to the terrorism of the past. It's essential. They paid such a heavy price. They've been out of their homes for over 100 days. There are so many dead and, and injured. Uh, again, something, a story not told. And the economic cost, which is now what, $50 billion and more and rising, uh, it's 2% of the economy, but it's in fact much more. And that there will be a re- residual impact for quite a while. Some businesses may not come back, and certainly in the agricultural sector. I saw a great story of a group that was disbanded from Gaza, and they didn't go home. They all went to the farm of one of the uh, one of the members of the group because he said everything was rotting, and they went there and fixed it all up. The whole the whole battalion went to the farm and spent the day. But we forget about all of the farms, all of the uh, the impact that this will have um, on the cost of food, on on everything else. So. Uh, and, you know, at some point, all the foreign aid will stop, the, you know, contributions, people get tired or whatever. They cannot. We have to remember this is a long-term investment to take care of those families, of all of the soldiers, all the victims there who left children, sometimes with one parent, sometimes no parents, but more than that, without an income. And, and those who were injured, which is many hundreds, that uh, we have to sustain the staka, the chesed, and all of the work we're doing for them. There's a report in the Jerusalem Post 
Israel's emergency government close to collapse as Gaza war continues. How much credence do you give this story? Yeah, but they've been saying that for a long time, and every time uh, somebody storms out of a meeting or gets angry, and you know they are all under tension, and they see uh, Netanyahu is very vulnerable, giving his his uh, very low numbers in the poll, and at most would predict that he won't uh, survive for long term. Uh, there's not an election for I think three years yet to come. Uh, whether that he can survive that term, and people position themselves in order to. Uh, that even if there's not an election, that uh, somebody else could succeed him as they really could form a new coalition government, do other things. Uh, it's it's very political, and of course the media in Israel is very politicized, and so you, you don't know everything has to be with a grain of salt. But is there uh, are there real tensions? The answer is yes. Is there a possibility that a government could collapse? I think in wartime and still wartime. That would be a mistake, but but we see more of the divisiveness of the past and more of the kind of charges that we were spared in the immediate period after the um, after October seventh, uh, reemerging. Yeah, the hostage situation is, I think, um, very important for everyone to get past somehow, and uh, and that means obviously those who are alive to come back home and. If, uh, there are bodies for those to be brought back. I just, you know, as every day passes, it, it's, it, it sounds like the greatest advocates, the hostages' families are, I don't want to say losing hope, but it's getting to be a very anxious situation, even more stressful and anxious than it was, you know, weeks ago. And I, and I don't know how easily Israel can go on um, without some resolution, frankly. I think that the support, both in Israel, but also abroad, there are families here now. They're meeting with members of Congress. They Guterres even met with some of them in, in Davos. So they, they, they were on the platform, thanks to Palantir, the company, and uh, its head, um, that they had a platform there to talk about it. It is something that still motivates, I think, the um, IDF um, casualties and and unfortunately the the uh, those who were who were killed uh, motivates people. They understand why this is important. People, anybody with a half a brain knows that the barbarism and and anything that we witnessed can't be allowed to to no cancer can remain. It has to be taken out, excised completely. So I think that support for Israel remains strong, uh, stronger than than I think many people would have predicted 100 days after the war. Uh, in Congress and elsewhere, I think that the American people, um, not the voices that you hear and you see these crowds, but remember, to get 1,000 people onto the street when you have the communists and all sorts of extremist elements and you have money coming into it, some say Soros, some say others, uh, that Goldman Sachs Foundation, it's a donor-advised fund, uh, gave millions and millions of dollars to the groups that are behind uh, the, and identified the donor uh, who, who, have been, who has been associated with anti-Israel and extremist causes for a long time. So it doesn't take much. And if you're paying young people or people to come out, you'll get them to come out and do it. And if they just rally, you know, uh, these extremists, it becomes the, the, the protest du jour. And so it's less and, and they will turn against the United States more openly as they are already. But they will be more blatant about that once the, Israel is not the focus. But attacking Israel is a way to attack the United States. Do you um, did you see if any uh, larger 
terrorist organization took credit for the Renana attack this week, or uh, was it only, of course, the the terrorists themselves that are uh, being given credit uh, for the attack? Was there a larger group or, or any entity that took responsibility for it? They did not. I did not see anybody that put out an official statement uh, taking credit for it. And and that's the unfortunate thing is that the murder of civilians or the attack on civilians um, and car rammings, these are often, you know, just people who've been inspired who are, may have an affiliation, may not be by order of the group itself, but we've created a climate where these attacks become more fashionable and then they get uh, great support and they get honored you know, by the uh, and and get money from the pay to slay, which is increasing its budget all the time to pay for those who who have killed uh, Israelis or became injured in the process. So it's it doesn't have to have a particular group's signature on it. We know what the where the motivation comes from. And I know that you know it's always been this way that every neighborhood, town, city in Israel has always been on the alert. Um, you know, uh, in terms of attacks like these. But now, obviously, the stress and anxiety level is so much higher because of the circumstances of today. So remember what our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through, everybody, because it's a uh, even people who are not directly affected by the war, those who don't have people in the army, those who are not families of hostages, just our brothers and sisters who live in Israel are going through a very stressful situation, to say the least. And we should remember that, that uh, this is still only isolate incidents in a country when you take all the things that happen, let's say in New York City or you take any other place in America, people should not be dissuaded from going to Israel. The tourism is, thank God, continuing. Groups are going. People are going and um, not just to see the horrors in, in Gaza in, in along the Gaza border. But we should be going there, join yeah. the people you, of Israel you, you, support. You, you've been way too nice on this issue. You keep talking about the positive, which I can't blame you, about those who are going. But it is just a drop in the bucket. The people who, who've started Yeshiva Break now, which is essentially you know on a staggered uh, schedule for the next three weeks. I mean, that entire group, I don't want to say nobody because I wouldn't be fair, but hardly anyone is taking their family to Israel. And I don't know what you would suggest privately to those who are worried about taking their children into a quote-unquote war zone. But I, I would encourage people. I've been there, and I would encourage people to take their kids, uh, embark on volunteer efforts, and I think they will find plenty for them to do there in a very safe environment. I don't know if you agree with me 100% on this, but people need to put Israel on their calendar. They need to start planning trips and not hesitate to think about spending part of this week winter, especially during vacation, or even the holiday of Pesach in Israel? I, I, I don't agree. I think the big problem, in, in principle, you're right, but I think the big problem is there are no seats. And El Al is charging a fortune, and the, the other airlines aren't flying yet, and and people can't get seats. They call me up and tell me that, and I know I'm booked for myself. It was very hard to find seats on on the flights going until unless you fly through Europe and you fly through other ways, which a lot of people don't want to do. Uh, but the direct flights, it's only LL right now, so it's very difficult um, to get seats. I think many more people would go if the if, if there was the availability. Were, and and the prices were somewhat more reasonable, but the the uh, I, you're, in principle you're absolutely right. People should be planning their summer vacations, their their spring breaks, other things. Go to Israel; they need it. The people of Israel need to see you there. The hotels and others need you. The the economy needs us to spend uh, money there, and most of all, to show solidarity. 
and go to a hospital and volunteer or, or, or visit soldiers who, who are in these places, visit the farmers, go down and, and spend a day picking, um, you know, fruits or whatever, packing food for, for soldiers, go with the a multitude of organizations that are, are doing every night meals on the thing. It's not for them. It'll be for you. You won't imagine. And, and I've never heard one person come back and say it wasn't one of the best experiences of my life. It wasn't the most fulfilling. You know, you identify, they see you, you see them. And look at the videos that abound about and, and, and no one can walk away uninspired. Does this tell us that, I'm, I'm being serious now, business-wise, does this tell us that for United, Delta, and American, the Israel route really is just relatively insignificant compared to their the rest of their operation? They don't have to run to, to start this thing up again? No, it's not at all. I think it was United, I think, that said it's the most profitable route that they have. And they are uh, scheduling flights in February. Um, I don't know whether they will sustain them. I know that some were already canceled. They, they have not indicated, or some have indicated that they would uh, fly. But Lufthansa, Swiss Air, Alitalia, uh, all of them are flying. And you can get pickups, you know, hook up to flights from Israel, uh, from El Al or other airlines uh, flying into Israel. So those who really want to go, you can find a way to go. Mm, and and the, and the Austrian Air, has very good flights to Vienna. It, it, they're stopovers. It's not as convenient. Um, but those are but, stopovers that people wouldn't be uncomfortable with. Right. Yeah. None, none of them. I'm not saying Turkish Air, which right. is not flying yeah. anyway. I got it. They're not flying, and uh, you don't have to go uh, with uh, Hamas Air, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that uh, there are ways to go, and and uh, you know when I booked, I had a half a dozen different choices of different combinations. Again, I'm saying it's not as convenient, but it's it's not such a big burden if you have to sit three hours and wait or two hours in a layover. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. God willing. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline, Conference of Presidents, Major American Jewish Organizations. Fascinating. Fascinating what's going on. Uh, remember the IDF soldiers. Think of them over Shabbos. Think about the type of Shabbos they're having compared to the uh, luxury and comfort that, thank God, thank God, thank God, we're able to enjoy because of them around the world. And, of course, think of the hostages, everybody. We pray that uh, God frees the hostages from Hamas and utilizes the idea for diplomacy as the shliach, whatever the case might be, to get them home. Please, God, please, God. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to wish a happy birthday, a happy milestone birthday to Vivian Kalish. Vivian Kalish, according to our reports, is celebrating a birthday, and uh, myself and Rabbi Yudin and all the people that she enjoys here at our network uh, want to wish her a very special mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin spiritual leader emeritus congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Whoa, before I even begin with tomorrow, we have the privilege of reading Parsha's bow. Let me just say, I am so appreciative of the privilege of being here in Eretz Yisrael as I sit in Ramat Beit Shemesh they say it's winter, but uh, it feels much more like already spring. Mir Sashem next week to Bishvat, but 
there are just no words to describe the schus of being here, even in these challenging times, which we'll get to, please God, a little bit later. Okay, tomorrow we do have the privilege of reading Parshas Bo. And with Parshas Bo, we are off and running. Until now, in our constitution, we've had but three mitzvos in the book of Bereshis. And starting with Parshas Bo, we have 20 mitzvos. We have nine positive mitzvos and 11 restrictions for a total of 20 mitzvos. And I would just want to mention a quick thought, interesting, in the name of the late Reb Shimshon Pincus, Zachrona Levracha, about the first mitzvah in this week's parsha, that of HaChodesh HaZelochem, the uniqueness of the Jewish calendar. And he points out something very fascinating, that very often when you have a series, in this case here, from Hashem, 610 more to go of mitzvos, but we have a continuum, there's usually something in the first of that series which has not only its own character, but something that we can learn from it for the rest of the mitzvos. And he points out something fascinating, that... In the beginning of chapter 12, we find the mitzvah of the Jewish calendar, that unlike the rest of the world, that marks its calendar with the solar, with the sun, we have the lunar calendar, whereby the Jewish people are compared to the moon, that as the moon is renewed, Monthly, so too are the Jewish people given the opportunity, literally, of renewal, taking stock, starting afresh each and every month. But there's much something much deeper, he points out, regarding this mitzvah of the Jewish calendar. There's so much about it that really we don't understand. What does that mean? It means that the Pasuk says in Parshas Emor, Rabbi, the Torah says, These are the holidays of God. That you shall call them and proclaim them as your holidays. The rabbis tell us, Don't only read the word, but Atem, you, meaning man is the one who ultimately sanctifies the holidays. And the rabbis teach us, Atem you, Afilu Shogigin, even if you made a mistake, or Afilu Mazidin, even if you intentionally rigged the calendar. So, for example, we have it today that Yom Kippur cannot fall out, neither nor, on a Friday or a Sunday. If it would fall out on either of those two days, then we would have two days where you can't cook, two days where you can't have a burial. This would be too difficult for the people to endure. And you'd have Hoshana Rabbah on a Shabbos, and the rabbis did not want to forego the minhag of, quote, clapping Hoshana. So what, before we add the calendar, 
witnesses who saw after day 29, the new moon, they come to Yerushalayim, and if the Bezdin would accept their testimony, it would turn out that Jim Kippur would be on either day, Friday, Sunday. So what do they do? The witnesses come and they find a big sign on the door of the Sanhedrin, closed. That's it, closed. They close it because they don't want to take the testimony for the consequence. So if we are dealing in a situation where this is really in the hands of man, and more than that, the Gemara in Sanhedrin teaches us that they would interrogate the witnesses, the Bezdin, and they would ask, show them pictures of the moon in the sky and ask the witnesses in which hemisphere was it and how did it appear. So the Sanhedrin were most knowledgeable in astronomy. So why do they need two witnesses? And the answer is, this is what the halacha says. You don't have an understanding of it, but this is what the halacha is, and this is what we follow, teaching us that with so many mitzvahs, if not all, there's an element of hope, there's an element of that which we can't understand, and we do this mitzvah, and really all mitzvahs, not because we understand it, but we do it to show our submission to the will of Hashem. This is what Hashem wants. This then is a privilege for us. Okay, let's get to work. I'd like to share with you an interesting idea found in the mitzvah of Tefillin, which is found in the last two paragraphs of the Parsha Bo. Very quickly, for the women listening, I'll give you a one minute or two quick crash course. Tefillin is a biblical mitzvah. A black box is placed on the bicep of the weaker hand and on the man's head between his eyes, literally on the fontanelle of the head. The tefillin shall yad, the hand tefillin, and these are considered two separate mitzvahs. The mitzvah of the hand tefillin has one long piece of parchment in it, and in this piece of parchment, or on this piece of parchment, there are four paragraphs. And these four paragraphs are four paragraphs from the Torah, four parashios, which contain the mitzvah of Tefillin. Two of the paragraphs are found at the end of this week's parsha, and the other two are the first and second paragraph of the Shema, which contain the mitzvah of Tefillin. Interesting. The Tefillin Shal Yad has all four paragraphs on one piece of parchment, and the Tefillin Shal Rosh, the head Tefillin, has four compartments to it, and there are in each compartment another uh, paragraph, one of these parshios, 
four compartments, four parashios. And it's interesting, the Torah doesn't provide these details. The rabbis do as part of the Torah Shabbat Peh. But I'd like to ask a simple question. Why? Why is it that the four paragraphs in the hand fill-in are on one piece of parchment and the four paragraphs in the head fill-in are on four different compartments? And the Mesha Chachma gives a very fascinating insight. He quotes from chapter 8 in the book of Malachim Aleph, when Shlomo HaMelech dedicated the first Beis Hamikdash in chapter 8, he has a long tefillah regarding the Beis Hamikdash and how people will come, not only the Jewish people, but from all over the world to beseech Hashem. And Hashem promises through Shlomo the Hoyu. God says, my eyes and my heart will be there all the days. Now, what do those two words mean? God's eyes, God's heart. After all, he has no body. So, the Meshachachma explains that they are a metaphor. God's eyes represents his Hashkocha Pratis, his divine providence, his involvement in the affairs of each individual, and his heart represents his love. Continues the Meshachachma. A parent has many children. He loves them all the same. And therefore, Hashem loves all of B'nai Yisrael the same, and therefore one cloth contains the four parshios representing his love for all. Lev Echad. One heart, one love for all his children. The Tefillin Shal Rosh represents his Hashkocha Pratis, and there his divine involvement with each and every person. But there it differs. The more one is attached to Torah and mitzvot, the more one is attached to God, the more there is Hashkacha Pratis, his involvement. And the less, so for example, just as we know when it comes to the Arba Minim, the four species we take on Sukkot, the Esrog has both Tamboreach, has taste and scent, symbolizing Torah and mitzvot, and the Lulav has taste but no scent, representing having Torah and not Masim Tovim, and the Hadassim has scent and not taste, representing good deeds without Torah, and the Arava has neither nor, and we take all four similarly in the Shorosh, the four compartments symbolizing the four different kinds of Jews. And just as in the case of Avram Avinu, who was thrown into the 
Kipshono Eish. And when Nimrod asked his brother Haran, what, where are you? He says, let me see what happens to my brother. If my brother comes out, I'm with him. If my brother dies, I'm with Avodah So Abraham was saved. So Haran said, okay, I'll take the furnace. And he never came out. Because unfortunately, once again, he wasn't meriting the special Hashkafa Pratis between God and, in this case here, Horon. Fascinating. And therefore, Hashem says that just as I will be with the Jewish people in the Beisam Bigdash, the Tefillin represents Hashem's love for all of us, Hashem's involvement with each of us. Now, this brings us to the end of the parsha, whereby the Ramban, in a very famous Ramban, at the end, very end of Parsha's bow, says that why do we have so many miracles in uh, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, starting with last week already, some of the plagues, the last three plagues here, and setting this scene for next week's Kriyas Yamsov, all these miracles shows once again that there is a God and that He is involved with man. So you have this concept of the Ramban actually working in tandem with the concept of the Meshechachmah. I can only tell you this past Tuesday for me was exceedingly emotional. I went to visit the place of the music festival and near Kibbutz Re'im where you have today markers of those Lovaleno who perished, those who are still captive and missing. And interestingly, people come to Davin, soldiers come as they go into Gaza to be charged. This is why we're going, where we're going, to protect Klai Yisrael. I went from there to the city of Shterot, which unfortunately lost 50 on that day of Simchas Torah, saw the site where there was a police station protecting Shneirot. The terrorist Yamach Shemam took over the police station and the only way that they could successfully get them out was by bombing the police station and you see a completely empty lot where the police station had been. We visited the yeshiva in Shterot, which Baruch Hashem is there with students from all over the country that want to learn Torah in Shterot to show, to demonstrate the Torah is our protection all the time. It's so difficult to put in words 
but there are. We don't understand why, obviously. These are the Nistaros, these are the hidden facts that only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows. But so many of our Chayolim will tell you that they saw nothing less than open miracles. And the charge to us is for us to have more Hashkocha Pratis, more of God's divine providence protecting them and indeed Achino Kobes Yisrael, all the Jewish people. We need more tefillah. We are one family. You feel it here. And we have to appreciate and inculcate that into our very being. Our children, our sons and daughters, our grandchildren are serving and fighting for us. We, our davening cannot be the same. It has to be a slower davening, a more meaningful davening. Literally, make sure you have the name of one or two chayalim and pray for them. It makes your prayer all the more meaningful and it goes a long way for their struggle each and every day. There's no question the signs that you see throughout the land, biyachad ninatseyach, with love, togetherness, as one we will win. There's no question about that. However, the same way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves all Jews, even though they might be different, we have to love all Jews, even though we might be different one from another. After all is said and done, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, as He has love for each and every one of us, it's a mitzvah to follow in His ways. And the more we love, the more we show love to one another, the more we will please God, merit, Hashkocha Pratis, divine protection, divine providence, to bring us closer to the end of this war of Timcha, Ezecher, Amolek. Shabbat Shalom to all.
And before that, the Shabbos medley at JM in the AM. Friday morning, era of Shabbos, 437, candlelighting time in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. Special blessing on a cup 
that's filled with wine. Man and his creator, it's a very special sign. Your candles will be burning, they'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos, well into the night. So throw away your hammer, there's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web and AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday. Wraps up a great week for us here at JM and AM. Happy birthday going out to Vivian Kalish. Happy birthday, Vivian Kalish, from all of us here at JM and the AM. My thanks to Avrami for everything, but especially for sitting in yesterday during the second half of the show. So I was able to uh, head to an event that I needed to be at. Thank you, uh, Avraham. Uh, everybody out there, remember we have amazing weekend programming coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. It's Mark Zomik and the Erev Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Erev Shabbos Music Mix all day long brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time for the final hour brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler starts at 9 p.m. At the 7 a.m. Sunday morning, Matis live with JM Sunday. Enjoy all of our great weekend programming. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Keep in mind our hostages, keep in mind our soldiers. Until next week, Nachum Single reminding you remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.